and welcome to The Ride of Your Life, episode two of this motorcycling podcast. A couple of clips involved this time. Um, first, a recording I made about a week ago whilst driving my car. Um, I talk a lot about slow riding and some braking activities. Um, let me stress at this point that this podcast is a conversational podcast, my thoughts about motorcycling. You may agree, you may disagree. But I have to stress that any advice that you feel I'm offering during this podcast, it's up to you whether you um, adopt that advice or not. And the advice is given only in a sense of my thoughts that I've had over the years. I'm not saying that this is the guaranteed way to make things better. And anything you do in following this advice, of course, is always going to be at your own risk. I cannot accept responsibility for riding your bike because I'm not there to observe and comment. So please take these thoughts in the spirit that they're meant. I also, during the first clip, I'm speaking about an event that occurred on Sunday the 5th of August. I do manage to get myself confused and refer to it as being on Saturday on about three occasions, but it was actually on Sunday the 5th of August. So if you note, note that minor anomaly in the conversation, then I'll just ask you to excuse me. Okay, folks, let me take you back then to um, August the 7th. Good morning. It's Tuesday the 7th of August 2012 and welcome to episode 2 of the Ride of Your Life. Well, today you've caught me in my car. I've actually got a longest drive today. I'm going up to Newmarket to um, take my father for a hospital appointment. So not on my motorcycle today, but out in the car having a drive and thought I'd make use of some of the time at least to make this recording. Uh, first thing I want to speak about is um, an event that I was involved in on Saturday this past weekend. I was with members of my riding club that I'm uh, part of, Somerset Advanced Motorcyclists, and we put on, uh, on Saturday, a slow riding day. Um, What's the thinking behind that? You know, whenever you get a motorcycle, you're interested in its performance and what it can do. But interestingly, the the information, the data that we have suggests that the vast majority of certainly insurance claims and incidents that occur on motorcycles are for incidents at low speed they are where the motorcycle is simply dropped you know when you're handling it in the garage or slow maneuvering around a car park or, or when you're filtering and it's those situations where the bike just goes over you do damage to some expensive plastics or whatever uh, but you want to claim for those yeah you want your bike to be fettled up again and that's when the insurance claims are made so not a lot of physical damage to people but certainly damage to motorcycles and dare I say damage to pride um, when your bike goes over it's always an embarrassing feeling something we wish to avoid and so maybe we ought to just practice slow riding occasionally how often do you practice the slow speed handling of your machine do you know how tight a lock you can get on it do you ever ride it on the stops 
can you weave in and out of traffic or cones or whatever. So what we did on Saturday, we just set up um, a course, uh, a track. Uh, we did this in a large car park area, part of a, a college car park. Um, one of our colleagues uh, works in this place and gained permission for us to set up this track. We could keep it a safe environment, off the road, no through traffic. Um, we put on a bit of refreshment and we advertised it locally. And we kind of hoped we might get a few people come along, not just club members, but anybody was welcome to drop in. And we're fortunate enough that we have a small 500cc Kawasaki, the ER5 model. We've got one of those in our club that is effectively the club bike. It's owned by our club. Um, and we've got crash bars on it. And um, if it goes over, well, it doesn't really matter. It's got a few scuffs on it. You know, we're not going to sell it. It's there as to train on. And it's a very useful somebody comes along and they're not too comfortable with uh, the thought of taking their big old machine around the course then they can have a go on the lighter weight ER5 and it, it just builds confidence so we used that that was in place and um, well we had a good day I mean we were there from Sunday from 10 o'clock in the morning till just after 4 o'clock in the afternoon uh, we had a good day despite <laughs> despite the weather it was horrendous. It absolutely teemed with rain. Not all day long, but we had some really heavy showers. And I think the problem was that people in the locality who maybe had a thought at the back of their minds that they might go and do this event, well, I kind of feel that um, if they drew back the curtains in the morning, they might have said, well, I'm just gonna give that a miss because the weather's horrible. And it was pretty, pretty miserable. We had shelters, um, you know, we, we could stay warm and dry when we were there. And when it wasn't raining too heavily, we, we did the, got the bikes out and did some riding. Um, sort of things we had, you know, we had a fairly straightforward slalom course, end to end, uh, not too difficult. And then we had a long, much more of a weaving slalom. So you had to really, like a series of um, tight lock to lock turns that you had to do and it was quite a long stance that so it really made you work over a long period of time that was quite a good effort and then um, we had a swerve and avoid set up where you would uh, try to accelerate to sort of 25 30 miles an hour and then the person standing in the track in front of you would point left or right and you had to do your counter steering swerve to the left or to the right to flick the bike over and then try to flick it back again through an exit gate on the other side of it. So that was quite good, particularly in the wet, you know, good to um, practice those skills on, on damp roads. And that went fine. Probably the most difficult stance was a series of um, quite tall traffic cones where um, you had to ride alongside this series of cones, riding just on the, on the clutch. And you had to from the first cone you had to pick a tennis ball off of that cone and you had to place that tennis ball on the top of the second cone and then at the third cone there was another tennis ball that you had to pick off the cone and place that on the fourth and there were five tennis balls had to be moved along one cone each actually that proved to be the most challenging and most demanding for most riders um, it's all about just keeping it very steady focusing on keeping the bike running on a straight line 
whilst your eye is drawn to your right and the drawing that eye makes you want to steer to the right and um, and then you start getting close to the cone so yeah it's quite a tricky maneuver that one but uh, most people manage to master it some people spend most of the day trying to master it but got there in the end um, what would I suggest the secrets of slow riding and don't forget I don't put myself up there as some sort of riding expert just things I've learned over the years certainly one of the biggest problems for many people coming to slow motorcycling is that they tend to look too close to their front wheel to where they're going you've got to look much further ahead you've got to look at where you want the bike to be in about a second and a half two seconds time that's the secret with slow running get your view up and uh, and keep it up and focused try and keep your hand away from that front brake if you need to slow yourself down use throttle clutch and the rear brake to uh, to control your speed and your progress keep it slow and steady and one of the biggest problems is that as you find the um, the stance becomes more tricky that you're trying to maneuver around the the the, the, the response is to tense up and with that tensing you know, your shoulders become tight and the fine control of steering and throttle and clutch become much more ragged and much more difficult so you need to stay relaxed you need to keep your view up and looking further ahead and you just need to balance those controls using the rear brake to slow yourself down if you need to some people do a lot of slow maneuvering with their rear brake applied and they're kind of dragging the bike through it if that works for you that's fine personally i, I tend not to I like the bike to be free running, but um, I will use the rear brake if I have to slow myself down. And actually, when you get to um, the next level up, it's quite interesting trying to just feather the front brakes very slightly and using front brake control so you just feel comfortable with it. The biggest problem with the front brake is you tend to dive it, dive the front. If you apply it too vigorously, the suspension goes down and the bike will tend just to stand and tug and then over you go. Um, always interested to find what your bike's capable of. You know, we had many different machines over there. I said we had the ER5. That's that's set up very sweetly now, just to manage around the track. Um, one of our friends had loaned an old um, Honda SLR. That uh, that went really sweetly. Fantastic turning circle. Yeah, really brilliant for manoeuvring. And Gina bought her. Um, my wife bought her Yamaha Cero over. That's a little 225 trail bike, so very manageable, very biddable, very good for that sort of manoeuvring. And then of course, you know, as the day went on, people were using their various machines, so I was riding my Adventure 990 um, KTM Adventure around the track. People on 1200 GSs, um, Pan-Europeans, um, Phasers, Tenere's, um, a BMW 850S, oh, sorry, 800ST that was going around as well. Um, so different bikes, different uh, machines. There were lots of others, but I've, oh, I can't, uh, can't just can't remember all of them now. You know, just as I try and um, say here, but one I'm going to come back to another bike that we took around because that was a, a very different experience. But um, yeah, I would say that my big advice is that. Um, and, you, know, you don't have to go to an organized training day, but just on occasion, just um, practice the slow riding. It really is something that will stand you in good stead and not something we do very often. 
And in the same way, you know, I always encourage people when they're out and riding, on most rides that you do, you ought to try a couple of manoeuvres really. One is try really opening the throttle, really getting some power onto the bike. Just get used to the thought of redlining it occasionally. And at the other end of the scale, I would say practice braking hard at least once every time you're out. Good way of checking the braking. But actually it's also something that again we don't do that often. And um, some interesting data suggests that, you know, that most um, crashes that occur it is quite common for the motorcyclist not to have applied their brakes fully when they've crashed. Um, and I, for whatever reason, you know, there, there could be any, a lot of reasons, and we'll come to that perhaps in a different podcast, but you know, practice your braking. It's a really useful thing to do. Of course, check your mirrors first. Try and do it on an open road where you're not going to cause an incident. But once you know that there's nobody behind you and the road is clear, to say I'm going to practice braking now and get those brakes on very firmly. Um, braking itself, you know, motorcycles these days with modern tyres, modern suspension and very fine braking, you can, you can stop very swiftly with a modern motorcycle. Don't be afraid to get plenty of front brake on. We, there's lots of debate about how you should brake. You know, some people come out with um, interesting ratios. They say that you should brake uh, 75% front, 25% back. I don't quite know how they measure that, or indeed how one was set about measuring it. I think, you know, the, the basic premise of significantly more front brake to rear brake is what they're trying to imply, and that has some wisdom in it. But I think, really, if you're going to brake, my suggestion is that you use both brakes, you apply both brakes pretty much together, it's very hard to separate them. Um, pull on that front brake, get plenty of front brake applied, compress the front suspension, spread the front tyre, load up the front wheel, don't snatch it, that's always a danger if you snatch at the front brake, but progressively apply the front brake, squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it, as you're doing so, get some back brake on as well, and the bike will slow very swiftly, but you need to practice it. I've heard lots of people come up with different ideas about uh, only using the front brake, you don't need to use the back brake at all. Well, you know, I've heard someone argue that um, if you keep the rear wheel spinning it acts like a like a big flywheel and it keeps the bike upright with its uh, gyroscopic effect. Which, you know, it's not a problem for me, I've never felt that a bike is going to spin away from me um, just because I'm only applying the, because I'm applying both brakes rather. Um, and I just feel that I want instinctively to apply as much braking effect as I can to that motorcycle. And okay, the rear brake might only be quite a slight effect, but I tell you, if you've got if you've got that rear brake applied, and even if the rear wheel is locked up, then it's going to be a drag effect on the motorcycle. It's going to slow it down. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, the when one does the uh, the basic DSA test, the uh, the requirement is to try not to lock up the wheels but you know um, I don't see it as a huge problem once you're comfortable with what the bike's doing if you've locked that rear wheel up the bike is just going to pull it through anyway it's just going to maybe snake a little bit but that's all um, so uh, I don't want to I didn't really intend this to be a podcast about braking 
but uh, anyway that's my thoughts is that you can apply both brakes you need to apply the front brake progressively and firm as firmly as you can with confidence that it's going to stop you and not the front wheel isn't going to go away you've got to brake really hard to make that front wheel slip and slide and skid now I have done it you know I've practiced that as an exercise in a safe in a safe environment um, and you've got to work it hard and something like the KTM with its very good suspension you've got to work it very very hard to make that front wheel lock up at all so practice 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 I mentioned uh, one of the bikes that we had with us at the weekend uh, one I was going to talk about um, my friend Dick uh, he bought over his uh, classic bike his Triumph Tiger 100 and um, and I had a go on it and I have to say what a delight you know it's got some slightly widened um, Triumph Western handlebars on it um, kickstart gear lever on the right hand side brake rear brake on the left hand side so you have to think about that for a bit it's not the usual configuration these days but once it started and just the um, beautiful beautiful engine note and lovely rewarding power delivery you know as you put the power on that lovely deep throbbing thrust as it came through you know it was I was only in a car park it was a big car park but I was probably only I doubt if I saw 40 miles an hour at the absolute top speed but it put a real grin on my face and it just reminds me that um, motorcycling is a very pleasurable activity and uh, it's not all about whacking it along in three figures and uh, screaming engines just the joy of that triumph was a was a delight to behold yeah, I wouldn't say I want to ride it all the time but if it's an occasional bike to take out I would love it absolutely beautiful well I hope you've um, bought into the idea of this podcast as you know you'll get the notion that I'm just chatting away just sharing my thoughts about motorcycling you might disagree you know, and I'd be very happy to have a debate with uh, people. And um, if you email in, then I will um, will certainly respond to you individually. But I'll also use in- emails as a way of uh, triggering conversation for future podcasts. So to remind you, the email is t r o y l podcast at gmail.com and T-R-O-Y-L, of course, simply the initials of this podcast, The Ride of Your Life. So I just call it shorthand, it's Troil. So again, the podcast email is troilpodcast at gmail.com. Hope that all makes sense. Um, Something else I wanted to put in to this particular episode. Um, I have a, I'm gonna call him a friend in America, uh, my friend Chris Russell. Now, I'm cautious about using the word friend because I use it in the virtual sense. Chris and I have never met, but we have conversed by email. And uh, Chris is a podcast host. He has an outstanding podcast. Uh, Again, it's about running, my other passion. And his podcast is called Run, Run, Live. Um, And Chris has written a book or two. He is a, a very fine wordsmith, a very busy man. But very professional in his production of his podcast and I found through his book and listening to his podcast that he's also a motorcyclist 
and uh, so I asked Chris if uh, he would share some of his motorcycling thoughts with us and he's sent me a clip which is uh, from his book The Midpacker's Lament which talks about his two passions of motorcycling and running so I'm going to play that with Chris's permission just as a way of rounding off this particular episode of Troil and uh, I hope you enjoy it so I'll say farewell for now and I'll speak to you again next time let me hand over to Chris Russell Running and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance Introduction I wrote this piece to give myself patience during the frustrating downtime of my broken knee. Everyone else was running, and I was stuck in the garage, unable to move. You have to convince yourself to take a long-term view of your life in running if you expect to weather the rough patches. I use the metaphor of my old motorcycle and great joys it has given me over the years to make the point. Subtitle. If you want to go fast, sometimes you need to change the oil. On a recent Sunday morning, the club that I am a member of had an event. It consisted of a long bicycle ride out to a member's lake house for brunch and a swim. In the course of the day, I learned something about running and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Since I had been forbidden to abuse my knee while it strove to heal itself, I decided I'd take my old motorcycle for a ride instead. I'd join them for a swim and get a nice long ride in the countryside with my beloved old friend Honda. As the peloton of fit, healthy clubmates set off on their morning grind, I swung into the rural two-lane with a satisfying downshift and a roar. My motorcycle and my running are both things that I've clung to since my youth. I started riding a motorcycle about the same time I started running. They're both treasured possessions. I started running seriously in high school 25 years ago as a way to get into shape for wrestling season. Wrestling was my real sport. I had an undistinguished two-year career on the varsity cross-country team. I was the fifth man on a five-man team, slow and steady, nothing has changed. I learned some of the basics of training and racing. The only events of any note I remember were, one, pulling an Achilles at a meet, and two, hitting the wall spectacularly. With less than 100 yards to go, I hyperventilated and five people passed me, and three, falling down in a mud hole at the league championships. I got lots of warm praise for finishing the race covered head to toe with muck, like a human caramel apple. This was not Eugene, Oregon. This was the middle of the pack in small New England prep private league. It never occurred to me at the time that running would be the sport I'd carry forward later in life. Wrestling proved hard to carry forward as a recreational pastime. Can you imagine trying to organize a group of 40-somethings to go out for a Sunday morning fun wrestle? Actually, I think that may be illegal in Massachusetts, or at least it used to be. Running is much more portable in life. I always ran, not well, but I knew it was there when I needed it. At the same time, I always rode a motorcycle. I rode all through high school and college. It was part of how I defined myself, as running is now. We always had a mini bike around the house when I was growing up. Those single gear models with a throttle, a brake, and a three and a half horsepower Briggs and Stratton lawnmower engine for propulsion. My dad taught me to ride by tying a rope to the back of the mini bike so that he could haul the whole works down if I was headed for trouble. I think I was nine or ten years old. By the time I got to be a preteen, I had a dirt bike. My friends and I ranged far and wide over the trails and power lines of then-rural Groton. Ironically enough, we tore up 
those same trails that as a runner, I hate to see motorized vehicles on now. I loved riding from the start. It gave me a sense of power, a sense of control, and a sense of freedom in my world. No matter what was happening in my life, when I cranked back the throttle and threw dirt in the air, I was free. It was no surprise that when I graduated from college, one of the first things I wanted was a new bike. I had patched up my old CB350 so many times that it just didn't run right anymore. Those of you who are old enough to have been watching TV in 1984 may remember the commercial. The scene opened on a drag racing track. A leather-clad, helmeted rider was smoking the back tire of the V65 Magna. The light turned green and the man-machine surged forward in a roaring acceleration. In a flash, they were gone. The scene faded and the voiceover said, Need we say more? It was the fastest quarter mile of any production motorcycle in the world in 1984. I went out and got one of those scary fast V4 engine humping machines. My wife had to sign the loan papers because at 22, a new graduate, I had no credit. 20 years later, that was the same machine I mounted for a country ride. Since I was 10 years old, I've been running and riding. There are strong parallels. When I run, when I'm in shape, I feel that same freedom on the trail and road, that same self-possessed power of controlled energy. When I have a bad day, I can go for a long trail run and everything falls into place. When the mood strikes me, I can open it up and throw the dirt to the wind. When I toss on the helmet, zip up the leather, and roar onto the highway, I am a master of something, something that not everybody can do. I am somehow special. The power of the machine flows into me. I pull back the throttle, heads turn. I am, to myself, a little godlike. When I hit the track and pound out miles to qualify for Boston, I'm also doing something that not everybody can do. The power of my internal machine transcends the ordinary. In both cases, when I engage, nothing else matters. For that moment, in that moment, I am untouchable. The old motorcycle felt fragile on Sunday morning. The front brakes were sticking. The tailpipe had developed a pinhole leak from road salt pitting. The clutch was very low. The battery was so weak I had to jump it. I figured that, like my old body, after a few miles it would warm up, the kinks would work out, and it would be as it always was. Soon I would be recapturing my youth when I used to race Corvettes on Interstate 485 at more than twice the legal speed limit. <laughs> no kidding. Sometimes I wonder how I lived this long. Then she gave out. Of course it's a she. The battery wouldn't take anymore. I had to backtrack with my truck and haul her home. Like my broken knee, my old motorcycle needs some TLC. This winter I'll have to strip her down and fix her up. I think I owe her that after 20 years of uncomplaining service. I love that old bike like an old war buddy. It got me thinking about how I've probably been riding my old body too hard. I guess I owe it some TLC too. Perhaps this winter... I'll strip my running down and see if I can fix it up. Maybe I can rub the pits out of my personal chrome. Maybe with a little patience and TLC, I can coax some more performance from this old power plant. I don't ride much anymore. The kids and career make it hard to get out. However, in a couple years, things will be different, and I'll be able to take it out of the garage and enjoy its life-affirming power. Who knows? If I take care of it, I might be able to ride comfortably into my old age. Not as fast, but still living in the essence of the thing. How about you? Have you expected too much from your machine? Have you ridden it hard for decades and not taken care of it? Is it time for you to show a little appreciation for all the miles? It's probably time for some TLC.